What's up, it's Kev with Atmosphere FC, and in today's video, I'm interviewing professional goalkeeper Abraham Romero. In this episode, we'll be discussing his experience through the youth system, his experience with the Mexican national team, and the undervalue of Latino players in the MLS. What's good, bro? How you feeling? What's up, Kevin? Nice to, nice to see you again, man. Thank you for having me. As you know, I want to start a platform where we can speak soccer in America. You know, you're someone that has grown in the system that is graduating has been successful in the american system has gone on to play in the pros has gone to play in mexico you have two world cups under your belt so your your resume unmatched you know and i've been lucky to have known you since you were 10 years old uh, one of the first memories i have about you bro um your practice was two hours before mine at la Finata, and for some reason I would always be there two hours early, bro. I would run and I would watch your practice, right, as I ran. And one day you come up to me and you're like, hey, man, uh, I'm a goalie and I'm going to start running these miles like you do, but after practice. And I was like, for sure, bro. Like, hell yeah. One day I practice, I see you and you're running. And the funny thing is that you have your gloves on. <laughs> bro, that was so long ago. And, and for me to see you in the pros, for me to see you on TV, it's it's amazing to see your growth, bro. So I'm happy to have you. Thank you. Uh, I actually do remember uh, you being out there real early and just training while I was training. And I was lucky enough to see you and that group of guys that, uh, you know, Rafa had, which I thought was like one of the best club teams I'd ever seen, like growing up. And I, th I idolized you guys as a kid. I just... I wanted to be like you guys as I grew, as I developed, as I got older. I just, I, that was like the goal. To me, you guys were like a standard that was almost like unreachable. To be able to like sit down and talk to you today, like colleagues and like, I consider you a very good friend of mine. It, it's actually, it's kind of mind blowing in a sense. It's great, bro. And it's all because of soccer, bro. Soccer has been the glue that keeps us in touch, man. Um, it's, it's what was dope about seeing your process, bro, is that play, you're not just a young player, you're a goalie. And for to see a goalie just grind, running, you were working with your feet a lot, bro. I, I always just saw you working. And I was just like, man, that kid, that kid has it. You know, that kid, that kid might have a chance. And then I go off to college. I come back, bro, you're 6'3". And I'm like, bro, no way. It's over. You know, caught on. And you were like, yeah, man, I'm thinking about you know, going pro. And I remember I was like, hell yeah, bro. Like good for you to see someone from Pasadena, California, to, to see, you know, someone younger coming from my club team. I was like, yes, bro. Like, bro, props to, to you. I want to give your flowers on a beautiful career that you've had, and you're only 23, and the longevity of a goalie is 20 plus, you know, so I hope to see you in 15 years still balling, bro. So we're going to, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about the process, your journey, and, you know, hopefully we can give advice to people that are listening to up-and-coming players that go on to play pro and, you know, they just want to, they just need some guidance from people that are in the league, such as yourself. I totally agree. And I think, I don't think I've told you this, but to me, you were an inspiration when I came up. And I think this platform would be fantastic to inspire the younger generation and then that generation could pick it up and just continue to see growth and see change and just see maturity because I don't, in a sense, I do want to leave a legacy, but at the same time, I want the next generation of goalkeepers from Pasadena to be 10, 20, 30 times better than me. So they say, oh yeah, Abraham was good, but he set the path and that's why I was able to do this and that's why I'm this much better than him. I want 
to almost be forgotten because of the next generation being so much better. Well said, my G. Hell yeah, that's what it's about, bro. I'm glad, man. I'm glad I was be able, I was able to be a positive influence on your career, man. Like I've stayed close to the game, and I'm a huge fan of the game. So to see you still on the roster, still starting in these World Cups, bro, it's it's surreal, and it, it shows you that dreams can come true from Pasadena, California. I didn't reach it, but the next generation, like you, got it. You know, so it's about extending these opportunities and bro and giving out the information that we didn't get the information that we have absorbed throughout our years and just passing it on you know i feel like we were talking before we started recording that we're first generation doing this you know uh we have no generational wealth we have no generational anything so we're, we're figuring it out as we go i feel like for me it's very important to document and to record and just to collect all these artifacts to pass down. Um, because if we can inspire and we can help people avoid some of the mistakes that we made, or we can, you know, speed the process of the development of a young player from Pasadena, then we have one. I totally agree. It's honestly, it's all about the next generation because I'm still in the game. I'm still playing, but I know there's kids coming from behind that come from similar situations from similar backgrounds and i know there's so much talent that's just been untapped yeah. from not just pasadena but from so many cities all yeah. across the country they just haven't gotten the right opportunity they just haven't gotten the right support they haven't gotten the right uh coaching staff around them it's, it's honestly a waste of talent because just the magnitude of how big america is like the united states of america is how much talent if spain is the size of texas yeah. smaller than Texas. Imagine how many players we could just get out of the entire country. Yeah, I hear you. Our, our pool should be so much bigger. Our competition should be so much better just because of how big America is. And yeah, man, let's start. Let's bring it back to Pasadena, bro, your youth. How, how fall in love with soccer, but most importantly, how did you fall in love with being a goalie, a goalkeeper, bro? Because goalkeepers are different. I don't know how to explain it, but as, as people, as just like lifestyles, goalkeepers are different and only goalkeepers know what I'm like. You know, if you're a soccer player, you would understand like that goalkeepers are eccentric. Yeah, we, we have our own little quirks to, yeah. to say it nicely. <laughs> we're a little different than the, the rest of the team. You know, we're just we're usually alone. Uh, Very. We just it's we don't really get any glory in the position. But we're happy without the glory because we know we're supporting the team in a way that not many can. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, like I started off as a center mid and I wanted to be a midfielder, but I ended up not being that quick, which is hilarious because now I'm actually pretty fast. Yeah. Um, I was just too tall for my age, I guess. Um, I got dropped out with the center back. One day, like the goalkeeper gets hurt at Villa Park. Uh, Legendary. <laughs> yeah, legendary Villa Park at a single the mile tournament gets hurt. I guess he like broke his hand or his finger and he couldn't play. So I was the tallest kid. So they just tossed me in goal. I ended up doing well. And they just like, ah, you're going to stay there. It wasn't like really a choice. It was just like, all right. And I really had fun with it. I picked it up and I was, as I learned, as I realized that there was a, I think in football, you're kind of born with it. Yeah. I think you're born being good and you have your people that are born to play football. Yeah. And I think as a goalkeeper, there's a technical aspect behind it that you can get good even if you're not born for it. Okay. And just that slight obsession, kind of that obsessive 
to be perfect to be perfect to perfection like to perfect every movement as a goalkeeper it kind of just drove me to become better and better and put hours and hours of work into it a big responsibility to be a goalkeeper um a lot of people don't understand how mentally tough you have to be to be a goalkeeper because one distraction from the fans or something outside of soccer bro everything's on you and not a lot of people can take the criticism and people, you know, that that responsibility of you losing the game after the game. So it's definitely you have to, like you say, you have to be born with something to un- just be able to cope with that and develop and thrive through that. Yeah, I, I like that pressure. Though. Personally, I enjoy that pressure. I enjoy that sensation of if I do mess up, I can ruin everyone else's hard work. But I kind of strive on that. The, the more... And I like to put more pressure on myself. I like to add on in my own head, like throughout a match, I'll be talking to myself and I'll add more pressure. I'll say, you have 10 balls, you have to hit all 10 perfect left foot, right foot. If you have 10 shots, you have to catch eight and you have to parry two uh, outside of the six. And just like little details that I continue Wait, this, to this, is, this stuff is going in your head in the game? Yeah, it's just like, it, it's kind of a... It's kind of you get into a mental zone. Yeah. That, like, realistically, like, I've played in stadiums that have 40, 50,000 people, and I don't hear anything That's at cool. all. It kind of just goes mute. Like, there's games that I can't recall because I was just so in, emerged, emerged in the game that, like, the first game that I played in my first World Cup against Argentina, we won 2-0. I think I got man of the match, and I don't remember that game at all because I was just so locked in. Yeah, and it's it's that's that's the keeper quirk. Like we all have our own little things. Like some people like to distract themselves and not pay attention at all. But I I just I'm more of a hyper focus on the situation at hand and adapt to anything that's going around. That's that's very interesting, bro. Because I I've heard like basketball players keep like some certain stats in their head, like percentage. Like I've missed X amount of you know I need to rebound X amount. So, but I've never heard of soccer like. I don't think I've ever been me as a player, but like, dang, I got to complete X amount of my passes. So that's, I've never heard that. So that's very, that's very interesting. That, that Yeah. Because at the end of the day, the, the main focus, the main goal for me is win a match. Mm-hmm. If I play fantastic, but I gave up a goal and we lost one zero, I'm going to beat myself up about it. Even if they put it top bins, even if they rip it from top of the box, top bins, absolutely nothing I can do. I'll still sit down and, like, I have trouble sleeping after games. Yeah. Uh, if the game's at 7 and the game ends at 9, I won't go to sleep until 3, 4 in the morning. And in the time, that's just because of the adrenaline. And in the time that I'm just staying awake, I'll watch film and, like, repeat the goal. And I'll watch the game and I'll watch the game over. I'll watch it two speeds. I'll watch it in, uh, one speed. I'll watch it three speeds so I can see different looks of it. But that's just, I think that's kind of a obsessive mentality that I have when it comes to things I, I like that I love that I want to be the best that I can be I hear you now it's part of being a professional and it shows it shows where why you've been successful at what you're doing you know so keep at it bro one thing I feel like all young players especially now with the technology and the era that we live in make sure you get footage of yourself make sure you analyze this footage and LAFC turned into LAFC Chelsea yeah yeah Mm-hmm. And then it turned into Cosmos Academy, and I went to Cosmos Academy. And progressively throughout that, I got like into the pool of the U.S. national team, like at the age of like 12, 13. 
Yeah, that was my next question. Like, bro, how did you end up? Because for those who don't know, you, your caps are for the Mexican national team. And you yeah. started with the U.S. soccer. So kind of, yeah, please walk us through that process. Talk to us about how you started, how you got selected, how you, you know, made the transition to the Mexican national team. Um, there, I started off with the U.S. national team with, like, training pools. You know how, like, they would invite a bunch of kids to train for one night? Yeah. And that's how I kind of got uh, a little bit of recognition. They would, the coaches or I guess the league recommended players, like, oh, this kid's good. That's good. Like, check him out. So they send us to that, and I started to play, and I got invited to, like, an ODP camp, but I couldn't go because I told them, like, hey, like, I can't pay for it. Sorry. Yeah. Like, my parents ain't got money. I'm sorry. I apologize. I wish I could. And uh, I was lucky enough that the owner or the guy that ran ODP at the time just said, forget it. You're coming. We'll pay it for you. So I got very, very lucky in that sense, and I went up to Oregon. I ended up doing fairly well, and uh, – they took us all into an auditorium, like all the Cal South, Cal North, uh, the Texas team, like all the ODP teams. And they ended up calling the guys that would go to ID2, which was a Spain trip, I think. There was a pool of guys that just went into straight into the uh, national team. Mm-hmm. And I was a part of the team that went into just straight into the national team. And um, I was lucky enough to have like a fantastic coach that I still admire to this day. His name's uh, Hugo Perez. Um, Salvadoran yeah. American fantastic yeah. player, fantastic human probably one of the best coaches that the U.S. national team had or has I'm not sure if he's still working with them I think he's with El Salvador national team now he actually let, he dropped an interview kind of talking about this that uh, the Hispanic and Latin players are just so undervalued here in the U.S. Mm-hmm. and he, he named me, he named Edwin Lara he named uh, I think Eric Calvillo like a lot of potential players that were with all due respect, I, I think Christian Pulisic is a fantastic player. I think he's great. But he was a part of my pool. And growing up, he was average at best. Like, he wasn't better than the Hispanic kids we had on our team. I don't know. Uh, he, he's fantastic. I think he's a great player. I'm not taking any credit away from him. And I know he's an obsessively hard worker. But if it was based on talent alone and getting support to those players, I don't think Christian Pulisic would be the biggest name in American soccer. I could not. On that, on that single 98 team, 97 team, 96 team that I was able to be a part of, there was players that were a lot more talented than just from a background that didn't really support or help their cause. Wow. Because this is Hugo Perez who brought this up about Latinos being undervalued, not in the league, but I felt in the system overall. And yeah. that's, very, that's very tough for me to swallow because I'm Hispanic. You're Hispanic. I feel like American soccer, the MLS was built on Latinos' back. Mauricio Cienfuegos, Marco Echeverri, Valderrama, Jaime Moreno. These are, these are players that put MLS on the map. And yet, till this day, we don't see that many Hispanics shining. Or I feel like we don't get as much opportunities as we should, being that some of this Hispanic talent is through the roof. So I wanted to ask you, since you've seen it, do you think that Latinos are undervalued in the system in America? I think Latinos are extremely undervalued in the system and not just in the system of players, but in the system of coaching because Hugo Perez Mm -hmm. is a phenomenal coach. 
tactically he played like he has the experience he has the knowledge he's he's well-rounded and he hasn't gotten the credit for example as I don't know, Tab Ramos. I'm not saying Tab Ramos is a bad coach or anything. I don't know him personally. I never trained. I never played under him. Mm-hmm. But the glory that they give Tab Ramos, I'm very surprised that Ugo hasn't gotten just due to the fact that Ugo has made fantastic teams, has made fantastic players. Yeah. I genuinely thought before I went to residency with the U17 uh, U.S. national team for like the first six months, I thought that U.S. team would win the U17 World Cup in Chile, the one I played with Mexico, because of the sheer talent they had. But once they got to the World Cup, their roster, their starting 11 was completely different. None of the same players, like all the, the top-notch Latin players, if they were lucky, they were on the bench. That's if they were lucky. Yeah, man. And, and that's – this is not a coincidence that we've noticed throughout the years. This is something that happens every tournament, every car put to the side. Why, why do you think it – My theory is that people – in the U.S. want to take, I think we all have a, a good side and a dark side. I think we're all good and bad, right? But the best players know when to bring the dark side out. Like, they play in a dark area. They, You go into a match with kind of a killer instinct, and they want to take that out. They want you to kind of be, like, very nice, well-mannered, kind of to roll over. And I've said this once, and I'll say it again, and I'll say it a thousand times we're brought up in households that your title doesn't matter it doesn't matter if you're a lawyer it doesn't matter if you're a doctor it doesn't matter if you're a psychiatrist it doesn't matter how much money you have what we base people off of in latin and hispanic and just minority culture is your character and i think it hurts the ego of a lot of these coaches and a lot of these guys that are coming in with their european accents that my character weighs more than your title and they can't deal with that and their ego gets hurt because they see that all of the players are following this Latin player. All of the, the players are following this kid from the hood because his character and his leadership, because they speak volumes about Eric Calvillo at San Jose. I think he's, he was a fantastic player. I think he still has a great potential, but we all followed him. He was our captain because he just had that, that leadership. Yeah. that none of the other guys had because they weren't, I guess they weren't brought up that way. Yeah. And I think that hurt uh, a few coaches' egos that he had that character that the team would rather follow him than follow the head coach. Ah, and nice. At the end of the day, it's a player's game, not a coach's game. You can't run plays like in football. You can't run plays like in basketball. It is a player's game and you have to be able to adapt in the match. To piggyback off that, I feel like, but I don't know if it's because of marketing reasons or because of, you know, putting people in the stands that America wants to keep a very straight straight and cookie-cutter player that if you have a, like you said, that that we heard someone say it the other day. A commentator said, said it the other day. He's like about the Latino temperament. And he said something that he actually got fined for. And, and it was just like, what, what do you actually mean? The car, you know, and that's the character that people don't appreciate. And back to you, what you said about the European guys, no disrespect to the European guys, but I feel like a lot of Europeans come here thinking that they're gonna, they're the new Messiah. They're, you know, God's gift to soccer. And because they have an accent and because they lived in Europe, that they are superior to the knowledge of an American like me and you. 
So what you're saying, a hundred percent see how, how, you know, it can hurt a man's ego or it step on somebody's toes and, you know, question authority. And I feel like when authority is questioned, coaches, you know, ask themselves and ask like, yo, whose team is it? And I feel like that can cause a lot of friction, a lot of bad morale in the locker room. And it goes down to like, um, you said about DC San Fuegos earlier that like the league was built on his back. I don't think a lot of people know this, but I th- Mauricio, he was basically promised that he would have a job for the rest of his life if he wanted it with Galaxy. Mm-hmm. Like, basically a life contract. Mm-hmm. And as a player myself, like, kind of just went towards Mauricio for advice. I went for that, and everyone did. The Academy kids, the Galaxy 2 kids, a lot of the some of the guys on the first team, like, they kind of just go and, like, he has this sense of character, of, like, trustworthiness that, like, you can go and speak to him like person to person, man to man. And he'll tell you, you're doing this wrong. You could do this. And like, they were trying to fire him at Galaxy while I was there because yeah. they saw all the players go towards him. All the players respect him. And yeah. I can't say that all the players respect everyone on that, on that director board, on the director board or the coaches that they had I feel like respect is earned, not given. And they want us to give them respect without earning it first. Yeah. To talk about Mauricio Cienfuegos, who, to me, he's my idol, bro. I saw him play at the Rose 196 and that jersey. I was like, I have to be. I, that's what I want to be. So for think about it. For him to be not just a Galaxy original, but an MLS founding father, and for him not to have a coaching staff role for the Galaxy, like a, like a major one, is shocking. Like, this guy has won rings. This guy is a... El Salvador international superstar. How hasn't he got a shot? Why has Bruce Arena been back two times? And why can't we just give somebody a color a try, someone that knows it? And it, it makes you wonder what's on the MLS agenda. What's, you know, what's behind these decisions of not really giving the props to the Hispanic player, the Hispanic coach. Um, and that's something, you know, we're going to do some some more digging bits because it's something that I've spoken to players you brought up and it's, I keep hearing the same thing. And to me, it's shocking because I'm like, bro, we're ballers. We're the glue of any team. We're the sauce. We're, we're the style, you know, as much as Americans, you know, we have the most athletic players. We don't really have an identity, a sauce or flavor, you know? So for, we're not going to, get it if we don't give Hispanics the opportunity, a fair opportunity, not just a fair opportunity, but support them. Uh, and I think, I think it goes Hispanic because it, in our, it's in our culture. Like we're brought up with football. That's kind of the only sport we really do know as like kids, mm-hmm. but it goes over to like any other minority, like black people, Asian people. Like when was the last time we saw an Asian on the U S national team? But he was born here. He's American. And like Zach Kobayashi, a uh, friend of mine, I think he's one of the best players I've ever seen like growing up. And he just didn't really explode. He didn't really get those opportunities that so many other kids did get. I can't, um, name, I can't name an Asian player on the national. Maybe Brian Chung. Brian Chung was Hawaiian. I don't think he was. We are seeing a little bit more African-Americans on the team, but I feel well, those, mm-hmm. are the, you know, those are the people that are going to run up and down. Those are the players going to just win the 
that are soccer players are going to be dogs are going to get it, you know? So I, I can see how they fit the American system, but can't just be athletic people. It can't just be direct all the time. You know, it has to, you know, as much as we try to build out the back, as much as we will put passes together, there's not that one creative player that Clint Dempsey, that maybe Christian Pulisic now that we need four or five of those in each team, not just one or two. I think that that's where the like line problem is. We have Christian Pulisic that I, again, I still think he's a fantastic player. I think he's an amazing soccer player, but it can't just be him because what happens if one day he's hurt? What if he gets hurt in the first game of the next World Cup and we don't have him? Yeah. Who are you going to rely on? Yeah. I don't think anyone can name any other football player on the U.S. national team that isn't in Europe. I want someone to name the roster that's here in the MLS. I can't. I don't think I could do it. No one could do it because we don't give them the importance that they deserve. You're still a part of the national team. You're still a great footballer. But we're just not developing, I think, the right guys for the job. Mm-hmm. I think we're developing athletes because the U.S. is, just look at the Olympics, we're the most athletic country in the world. Mm-hmm. But we need more Christians. We need more, I think Weston McKinney's a great player. Also was lucky enough to play with him. Great kid. I remember Luca De La Torre that was at Fulham when he was like 16. And he was probably, in my opinion, far better than any... Um, technically far better than any player that's on the on the U23 Olympic team right now. Uh, Haji Wright, I think he was fantastic. He was at Schalke. He was an amazing uh, footballer, technically, tactically, and he just doesn't get the opportunities that he deserves. Eric Calvillo, Alexis Valela, like all these guys that have that kind of swagger to them, that kind of, in a sense, some people say it's arrogance. I call it confidence because arrogance is when you have to say it, tell them, oh, I'm great. Confidence is one like, oh, yeah, people are telling you you're great then. You're great. Let me tell you this, bro. I have this theory about I really think that we have the best players in the world. As far as athletes, we have the best athletes in the world. And I really think that we can brew and develop the best players in the world here in America by Americans, by people who've grown in the system. And to everyone you've named, these players have had to export themselves to big European cups to chase the dream. For us, that been fed like, hey, if you want to make money, if you actually want to live the soccer dream, go chase it in Europe. But imagine we don't have to do that. Imagine we could just give the infrastructure to the American player to do it here. They try to do it with the Los Dos and these the second-tier MLS teams. But honestly, bro, from the, two, the few years of watching the USL and the Galaxy 2, the Galaxy sends players there to die, bro. Like I don't get how we're supposed to draft a player or assign a homegrown player, keep him on the bench, bring in a retired superstar who wants to end their career here. How is that player from the lower teams or the new homegrown player or the player that's drafted supposed to compete with a Ashley Cole, with someone, Edson Buttle, someone that's already made a name, you know, like for the... The, the Galaxy doesn't support those players as far as or the MLS doesn't as far as like, we you know, we're fed this homegrown contract. Oh, yeah, they're, they're going to stay here and become, you know, the, you know, kind of like the Jazzy Zardes. But there's only been one Jazzy Zardes the last 10 years. You, you've had experience with the Galaxy, too. You were signed with the Galaxy at a young age. So I want to hear from you, you know, what's your take on these 
lower amateur league. Galaxy 2, in a sense, has the right idea. I think the process of Galaxy is fantastic from the Academy up until Galaxy 2. After that, it's the same story. Every single time, they'll bring in guys that are trying to retire. They're just like, I'm going to make a quick buck my last two years. I don't really have to try. Like, I'll have a guaranteed contract for two or three years, and I'll make five, six, seven, eight million dollars. Because I think Efrain Hours is... And I'll be the first to say it. When I saw him at first, I was like, oh, you have a good left foot. That's about it. That's that's what I thought of the kid. Yeah. And then the year went on. And I was like, okay, you're you're average. Like you're you're a good player. And then Slatan was saying like all these things about him, like, oh, he's a great player, he's this, he's that. And I, I didn't see it until one day I saw him kind of flip a switch. Cause if you remember him two seasons ago, he was a chubby kid. Yeah. He he, he had like yeah. little rolls here, he had like a little pancita, like he looked like mm-hmm. a child. And he came in this last offseason. I saw him on the offseason. He came in an absolute athlete. Yeah. And with the technique, the, the quality he has, I don't understand why they're not giving him more opportunities. I think Efrain should be getting minutes every single game if you really want, if you really, if you really believe in the development of players that, like they say they do, play him. Give him minutes, at least 15, 20 minutes every game. Just throw him in. He messes up, he messes up. If he doesn't take the opportunities, that's a lot on him. And then if he's not giving you results, kick him to the side, kick him to the curb. I understand it's a part of football. If you don't take your opportunities, that's your problem. Yeah. Because they have uh, Jorge Hernandez on G2. <laughs> we just played against him this weekend. And the kid is amazing. He's an amazing footballer that just hasn't gotten any opportunities. He could play easily in any other MLS team on their first team or at least come in as a sub. Yeah. I know Efra's brother, Carlos. I talked to him recently, actually, about getting him on the podcast. Um, he was telling me, yeah, Efrain's frustrated. Efrain's played, what, three seasons with professional seasons with the Galaxy, and he's only had four starts in those three seasons? How does that make sense? How is this supposed to be? How is this the hottest MLS player and only has four starts in three years? So where are, where is Galaxy's priorities? Where is all this, you know, development that they talk about. That's a very great example that you, you know, bringing up Efrain nailed it right on the head. I think, I think they keep tossing excuses at him. When I was there, my time there, they kept tossing excuses at me, kept tossing excuses at me, and I kind of just got tired of it. Mm-hmm. I think they just keep tossing excuses and excuses and excuses. Like they said, I think the last excuse that they were able to toss him was something about his like physical appearance. Like, oh, you don't, you're not built like an athlete. You're this or that. And he came in in the offseason and said, all right, look, there's nothing you can, you can tell me now. I'm physically fit. I'm technically capable. I've been in the league for three years now. I've had minutes. I've proven myself that I can play in this league. In the league on the world stage, this, this kid is ripping free kicks against Argentina at the World Cup, you know? And they still don't give him the opportunity. I just don't. Under- it doesn't make sense because they're giving opportunities to other players on that team. I'm not going to say who, but they're not good. Yeah. Yeah. They're not they don't deserve to be there and I don't know how they got a contract. Yeah. I don't understand how they're giving away these free contracts to these players when there's guys that are behind them that have 10, 20, 30 times more talent and they're hungry. Their mom their mom and dad, they're not doctors. Their mom and dad aren't lawyers, you know. They don't have that money. They're hungry. This is their this is their way to eat. Like if they in their head, in the back of their head, they know if I make it in football, I can retire my mother. If I make it a football, I can retire my father. What's even more crazy about Efrain Alvarez is that Efrain Alvarez is from 
East LA. There's no more homegrown than Efrain Alvarez. So if you're not going to provide the best opportunity for someone like that, then someone who in Arkansas has no chance of ever even hoping to be on that starting lineup one day. You know, it's there's no dream. There's no nothing to play for here in America. There's nothing for us. There's no clear picture, no clear blueprint blueprint to give the youth to be like, hey, one day you'll be like Efrain Alvarez. And let's backtrack a little bit before your pro career. And let's talk about your Mexican national team career because U-17 World Cup, U-20 World Cup, those are big, bro. Those are two under your belts. You're starting. I actually watched both of the, both of the World Cups I was locked in. And beast, bro. Some of the saves you were making, incredible. So talk to us a little bit on how you switched from US, the U.S. national team to the Mexican national team about those experiences in the World Cup. Long story short, um, the U.S. national team didn't, didn't like me anymore. Um, what age? How old were you? I think I was 16. Um, they ended up taking a kid named Will, William Pulisic. So it was Pulisic's cousin. Oh, wow. Yeah, and Pulisic was all the rage then because he had just gone to Dortmund. He was like kind of doing well in their academy and all. So yeah. um, they ended up playing his cousin in that World Cup. Goldie. Goldie, yeah. Um, if I do recall, they didn't win one game. Uh-huh. I think they lost two and tied one. So they just kind of went to go see Chile. They just went on a vacation. Yeah. And it, I'm not going to lie, it, it did feel good because I took it very, very personally. Yeah, I took yeah. I take a lot of things personally, even if I don't say it, like on, on that stage of football, just due to the fact that I can sit down and I can count, I think, the goalkeepers that I've played with that I actually think could compete with me. And I think that I wasn't, that wasn't one of the times those goalkeepers could compete with me. I went to the Mexican national team that same weekend. I get cut, I think on like a Thursday, I'm home on a Friday, like on my way, on my flight home, they call my, uh, my family and they're like, Hey, you know what? Uh, we heard that Abraham isn't like on the U S national team anymore. Do you think he'd want to come out to trip with us Argentina? Why? Yeah, I landed and I was like, all right, cool. Like, say less. Like, I'd, I'd love to go. I, the first call to the Me- Mexican national team? No, my first call was when I was 15. But I told the U.S., like, I told Mexico, hey, you know what? The U.S. has done a lot for me. They've been loyal to me and I'm going to show them loyalty. I'm going to stick yeah. to them. Yeah. So I pushed the Mexican national team away, I think, a year and a half prior. Uh-huh. And then they found out the U.S. national team kicked me to the curb. And they're like, hey, we'll, we'll give you a shot. Like, come out. Like, just come out to the trip with us. I ended up playing. Uh, we played Argentina. I think we played uh, River. Uh, we played Uruguay that trip. And I ended up getting the starting job. Uh, I did fairly well in the first match that I came in the second half and they started me the next match. And then the last match, I think I played the full 90. And that's kind of where the whole U17 World Cup dream started. I was a starter for the majority of the U17 cycle mm-hmm. until about two or three months prior to the World Cup. I guess I got comfortable. Mm-hmm. And I let in some softballs against Japan. And the coach told me, like, hey, we're, that's not going to fly with me. You got to either you pick it up or I will set you on the bench. That's crazy. And, uh, Who was your coach there? Mario Artiaga. Fantastic coach. Great human. Probably one of the best coaches I've had. But I was able to, like, work it out and, like, just push myself to, like, get the starting job again because he told us all three of you are starting from zero. All three of you are at the same level. Abraham, it doesn't matter that you play the entire cycle and you've had the majority of the games. If not, 
I think like 80, 90% of the games were under my belt. The other guys hadn't played. Uh, he said, if you don't pick it up, you're, you're on the bench. And uh, I ended up getting the starting job, started against Argentina, did fairly well, got to the semifinal. Um, we lost to Nigeria in the semifinal. Nigeria won it that year. Nigeria did win it that year. Both World Cups, I've lost the champion. Man, you think, yeah, wow. Which one hurt more? The U17 World Cup hurt more. Why? Just the whole, the whole situation. Like, there's a song that was playing in the stadium speakers when we lost. Uh-huh. And uh, that, that song, every time, like, it plays, it's still, like, oh, like, it's still, like, I could have been a World Cup champion. That's crazy. What an experience at 17, man. Did, let me ask you, because did you ever consider going to college? Or did you go to the World Cup, start killing it with the national team, and you were like, nah, this is it? If I'm going to be honest, I never considered college. Like, even as a kid, I was like, nah, college isn't for me. That's not the route I want to take. I, I just want to play. Like, I just want to play ball. That's it. Yeah, but I remember actually my dad. Uh, calling me and he was like, yo, get a, get a hold of this kid, Abraham, because this kid doesn't want to go to college. Like he wants to go to the pros. And I was like, in my head, I'm like, hell yeah. Like, I'm like, I ain't gonna call him. Like, for what? <laughs> but he, he was telling me, he was just like, he was like really concerned. He was just like, yeah, you know, cause my, my dad was like very, he pushed me to go to college. I wish he would have pushed me to go pro. So when he had heard that, you know, you were thinking about going pro, you were like, yo, maybe he should have, you know, someone get in his ear about it. And I was just, that's where you should be going. And then I think I came back for a summer and bro, you were gone. Like hottest thing in Mexico. Like I was like, yes. And then did you sign with the Galaxy? Did you sign after the World Cup? No. Um, Galaxy didn't offer me a contract. After when I came back from the World Cup. Ah. Uh, not even like a G2 contract. They didn't offer me anything. And I don't know why. They offered every other kid that was on the U.S. national team at the time. They all offered the guys that were from like, I think the Galaxy Academy or like all the other clubs that had like MLS players that were like on the U.S. national team. They all got like Uariano. He got offered a contract, but I guess because I was part of the Mexican national team, they didn't really like that. Ah, again, it's 2021 and we still have to deal with these conditions. <clears throat> You know, these, these racism and prejudice and you, you keep, I don't even want to say favoritism because I don't think it's favoritism. I think a lot of in a lot of these systems behind closed doors, the racism is blatant, you know. I think it's funny because all those U.S. national team players, they didn't make it out of group. Yeah. yeah. I made it to the semifinal as a starter and I had, I think, in the World Cup, I think I had two man of the matches. And nothing. Seven, yeah, and nothing. That's shocking. So, so I was just, I was kind of hurt because I thought Galaxy was like, oh, like, this is my local club. Like, I want to play for them. Mm-hmm. And they didn't really ever give me that opportunity. So then I went over to Mexico. Pachuca offered me a contract. Um, this is at 17, Pachuca offers you a contract. Yeah. And I go over to Pachuca. I sign it. And I have no one else to blame but myself. I didn't handle myself accordingly like i knew how i handled myself growing up i didn't handle myself like i like that in pachuca yeah i could point fingers and i could say this and that like oh this person um did this to me and that person did that to me and i could feel sorry for myself but like i'm mad enough to say like hey you know what even if i was 17 i should have handled it better i should have 
I should have been an adult. They wanted me to act like an adult, and I didn't act like an adult. Um, but then again, you toss money at a kid that's never had money. Yeah. And the world, the world's gonna, the world's gonna burn. Because I felt like I could buy anything. Bro, at 17 in Mexico, coming out of a U-17 World Cup, I don't blame you, bro. And, like, I came back, and, like, they, they found out, like, people in Pachuca found out, like, from the city, like, oh, they just signed the U-17 goalkeeper, Abraham, like, oh, this and that. I had, like, a lit, as little as it may sound, it, it was, like, a little bit of fame. Like, I'd go to, like, the mall there. They only had one mall. It was a little, it was a mm-hmm. tiny town. Yeah. I go to the mall and I go get ice cream. I'm like grabbing on my ice cream, and people would come up to me and be like, "Hey, like, oh, Abraham, you're such a good keeper. You're gonna be the next starter at Pachuca. Can I get a picture of this and that?" Yeah. Like people would pay for my food. Like it was wow. I felt like a star at 17, so I I got starstruck, and uh, I didn't handle it accordingly. Yeah. Um, I didn't handle it accordingly accordingly after the first year. I think the first year I was still locked in. I was still myself. I was still training, but then I got into the U20 cycle. Yeah, and and the U20 cycle was the complete opposite of the U17 cycle. In which aspect? I was not the starter at all throughout the whole cycle. Um, I would get games. I would play. It was all the keepers kind of got even amount of minutes. And then the head coach told us, hey, he's going to be the starter. I just like him more. That was it. There was not like, he didn't tell me like, oh, he's better at this. He's better at that. Like, he's just, pre- my preference is that kind of goalkeeper. Yeah. And I, I can't say anything to that because at the end of the day, football is an opinion. Yeah. So I was like, all right, I'm going to keep grinding. I'm going to keep working. I'm going to keep pushing myself. And if and I told him, if you do need me, I will be here and I will be ready and you can count on me. And I supported the other goalkeeper. And, of course, he's a great guy. plays for Atlas right now. Sadly, he ended up breaking uh, his finger the day before we traveled. To the world cup no what a bummer what an opportunity for you though next in line wasn't even me the coach didn't like my style i still respect him and i think he's a fantastic coach tactically he's a great coach and i respect him he's a tuca ferretti's uh, assistant coach chima ruiz fantastic coach um the guy that played at monterrey he was gonna play and juan carlos ortega i remember him telling me the story after he's like i walked into the coaching room he was a sporting director for the uh, Mexican athlete at the time. He's like, I walked into the coach room. I'm like, okay, so who's the starter? He's like, well, Fernando's the next in line. And I'm like, no, no, no. Who's acting like the starter? Who acts like they want it? And he told me that. And he said, well, Abraham looks like he wants it. He's like really putting it at work, but he's just not the style I want. But to take into consideration, yeah. if the other guy's shying away from it, you got to throw in the guy that really wants it. And if you know that Abraham has had World Cup experience and has done it well, that's kind of a safe bet. Yeah. And luckily, I ended up doing really well. I had, I think, one of the most amount of saves in that World Cup, too. The U-17 World Cup, I think I had one of the most. No, I had the most saves in the U-17 World Cup and in the U-20 World Cup. I was up there. So the cool, that was a cool World Cup, too. I learned a lot about myself. We lost to England, and they won it in the final. Oh, <laughs> damn, that hurts. Quarters. Now, now it was quarters. The U-20s, that's a big one, bro. So for you to have under, you know, that under your belt, it's a hell of an experience, and I'm sure it was an amazing, amazing place to play. It was real fun. It was, a, it was a great experience to play there. If I'm going to be completely honest, I learned a lot about the game in myself. Just kind of the business, not the business side, but the political side. It's like the only reason I wasn't starting was just because the, the coach was like, I don't like your style. Ah, I hear you. 
and having to just put your head down and work and work and work and work and trust that your work will pay off. If not today and not tomorrow, it will pay off down the line. I went to a club World Cup with Pachuca. Um, I think that same year, later that year, we lost to Gremio in the semifinal. And then Gremio lost to Real Madrid uh, in the final. So I was able to do that as well. That, uh, that same year. That same year. So that was a that was one that was the third Champions League Real Madrid had won in a row. Wow. And um or second in a row. Uh, I can't recall, but I ended up playing a club world cup with Pachuca. I didn't get any minutes, but I was nineteen at the time, I think. Yeah. Nineteen twenty maybe. I don't think I turned because I was a ninety eight, I was a year behind. I was nineteen when I was able to go to the you to the club world cup. Just look at your career at twenty and my career at twenty. Bro, your career at 20, you had a U-17 World Cup, a U-20 World Cup, and a... The Club World Cup, so... A Club World Cup with Pachuca, right? Yeah. Me at 20, I had two seasons at Boston College D1. Like, that, my experience compares nothing to, to yours, you know, as far as development, as far as experience. So when you look at the bigger picture, your decision to skip college and play and go straight to the pro way better decision for your development for your career so I compare that just to show viewers that one side can compare to the other you know like our priority is to play college soccer that's, that's our number one priority when it, our number one priority should be to play in the pros look at you bro you've had a stellar career you're only 23 you haven't even started you you would be done with college just now so it, it gives you a clear perspective on what our priorities should be if we want to elevate the American players here in the system. Talking about me just finishing college, I'm just going to give you, like, I'm going to let you know this just so you put it into, like, perspective of how messed up the system is. Uh -huh. I have three World Cups under my belt. I have over 210 international matches. I have played in multiple, I've been to 49 countries. I've played against multiple different styles of play. I've played in stadiums filled with 50, 60,000 people. But my time at Galaxy, they would bring in the college kid and they would treat him as if he were more important or had more experience than I did. Bro, that's shocking. That, that makes me angry, bro. Like you, play, you played against Notre Dame. I played against Germany. Yeah. Like, it, it's, not, it's not the same thing, but they don't give the merit. They didn't give me the respect or the recognition of like hey you know what this is a seasoned goalkeeper at the age of 21 that i got there yeah let's give him an opportunity like let's expose him let's play him on the first team they're just like no 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 let's play this guy that just came from cal berkeley it's nuts, bro there's no like i said bro like there's no perfect blueprint for an american player to follow because it's about who you know it's a chance it's all of that has to come together for you to actually get an opportunity to just get a start and there's so many people just like me and you bro like you've obviously your experience is through the roof over mine but the system has failed us both it's still failing us and i don't see the system changing anytime soon because i feel like the people up top are comfortable whatever whoever is at the federation develop academy scrapped last year like we don't have any any nothing now as far as like how, how do we select talent how do we pick talent? How do we recruit talent? And it's, oh, we have the college system. Like, we're not going to find our world-class talent in the college system. And we're not making any efforts to develop our talent here. So it's 
our system is in shambles. And, you know, this conversation we've gone back and forth on, it's not just in the amateur, it's not just in the youth, but it's also in the pros. Yeah. And I think it goes back to like, I don't know, like, like just take it back to Emperor. He showed that he could do it at the world stage mm-hmm. and he could come up big. He showed that he can hang with guys. Like he's playing against guys that like in Argentina, those guys are already playing Libertadores. Yeah. Libertadores is a cutthroat league. Like it's a cutthroat tournament. They're not about this uh, like airplay, this and that. No, they're going to um, chop you in half if they have to to win. Here in the MLS, there's no one with that kind of mentality. That's like, all right, like I, if it's the saying in uh, Spanish, like, uh, si lloran en, la, en mi casa o en la tuya, mejor que lloran en la tuya. Mm-hmm. You know, like cutthroat, they're killers. And yeah. Efra showed he can play there. He can ball there. Why not give him the opportunities I think he really deserves since he started showing? There's no reason. There's not one excuse I can think of that they shouldn't be playing him. Not only have he shown everything, but he's gotten an Ibrahimovic stamp of approval. That guy, that guy, that guy talks for Zatwan and Zatwan only, and then for Efrain. And we're still not having this guy in the starting lineup. It's nuts. Um, hopefully this season he gets he gets more playing time, bro. Because you think about it, Chicharito is a Mexican international. Ronaldo Santos is a Mexican international. So why not throw another Mexican international right there that can play literally anywhere in the middle top? You know, I feel like they, they've tried him out in a lot of places, but they haven't gave him a spot to just do you, bro, for a few games. You know, I feel like they have to let him adjust. He, he clearly can play. The commentators go crazy every time he touches the ball. So... He's definitely someone that are gonna, you know, I'm gonna keep covering and following because he he deserves everything. And if if he's not getting the opportunities that every American deserves, well, then no no American no no one's gonna get these opportunities. No one is gonna get these chances. If if he doesn't deserve it, then who does? Exactly, exactly. And bro, the, the MLS. I, as much as I love this league. I hate that it's a retired league, bro, that we rather the people and like no disrespect to these legends and come here, make a few mil, give their family the American experience and then have a day at the park at the Galaxy or wherever they play. And how are you going to make a hunger of an 18 year old that has nothing? How do you have that? How do you even have that in the same environment? How do you have a how does that dynamic work? In the locker room. I remember Slatan came into the locker room once and uh, his watch that he was wearing could have bought four of my cars. <laughs> just for watching. Yo, man. And you know what? No disrespect to Zlatan, though. I love him. World soccer icon. But Zlatan came here for a year and a half, did his thing. That said, made his millions, dipped out. In America, uh, in America, the MLS and LA Galaxy only got a year and a half of his lifetime. Like, Personally, being in the locker room with him for a little bit, experience, like being with him and everything, I think it was worth it. There it is. There it is. But I can't say anything. Like As a fan, as a Galaxy fan, I w- wish he would have stayed longer. I wish he would have, you know, got yeah. string. Like, no, like everyone knows he's great. Yeah. Everyone knows he's great. Like, there's no arguing he's great. But you don't realize how amazing he is how fantastic of a footballer he is, uh-huh. like how dominant until you see him every day completely embarrass people. And everyone says like, oh, Slatan's such a bad guy. He's mean to his teammates. No, here in the U.S., he seems mean to his teammates because here everything's considered bullying. His mentality is, this is my standard and I'm not going to drop down to your standard so you feel better about yourself. He stays here and he says, you come up to me. Like, Man. I'm the bar you try to reach. What an experience to play with a world great, bro. 
Let's talk about your Pachuca experience. How was the level? What's the difference between the culture between in Mexico and here in the U.S.? And who are some of the players that, you know, helped you and who you looked up to in the Pachuca squad? The person that uh, I actually had for a cool minute was El Conejo Perez. Wow. Yo, he just won. He just uh, with Cruz Azul. He just won. He's the goalkeeper coach. Your mentor at Pachuca was Conejo Perez. Yeah. I think that was the only guy that I could really consider, like, my mentor. Yeah. In the sense, while I was at Pachuca. Because I think he wasn't really a mentor in the sense that he'd, like, oh, like, do this, do that. He would give me advice here and there. But I genuinely just think he was he was a good guy. He is a good guy. I still sometimes I send a message, like, hey, like, how you doing, old man? Like, uh, hope to all as well. Like, he'll, he'll hit me back and all. So I think he's a great guy. I also, Chucky Lozano, I was able to play with him. Oh, wow. Where? At Pachuca? At Pachuca. Well, he was still at Pachuca. That was my first year there. My first year there was his last year there. Wait, Chucky Lozano was in your squad that year you were there? Before yeah, going right to before he left to PSB. That's, I had, that's sick, bro. You saw the, yeah, like, he's, wow, that guy is unreal. No, yeah, he's amazing. Um, I also got to play with, uh, Eric Gutierrez, um, the guy that's at PSB now. Uh-huh. Um, I got to play with Pizarro, that guy that's at Inter, at Inter Miami, I think. Long hair? Yeah. He's nice, bro. He's he's Him and the Iguain brothers are nice at that team. I don't know. They haven't got it down yet, but they have a good squad. Um, Eric, super humble. Great dude. Um, Victor Guzman, I I think he's... He, he was going to go to Chivas. I think he's a great footballer, great person. like Just real barrio, like a real hood guy. Like yeah. Very, very hood. Doesn't try to hide it. Wears it on his sleeve. Real happy about it. You know, like, yeah, I'm from the hood. I feel um, like that's those are the people, not just soccer players, but people in general, the authenticity, that's the people that I like. I feel like those are the people that we should market. Those are the people that we should be behind is people like that who are, don't change for anybody. I'm this and I'm that. And this is what you get, you know? Your very, very first preseason of my very first game, I remember Victor Guzman. At the time, he was, like, hot. He was, like, he was killing it. Mm-hmm. And I get subbed in, I think, the last 30 minutes. You know, the keepers, we all split it 30-30-30. And uh, my first touch on the ball, and I'm, I've never told him this, haven't talked to him since. I don't keep in contact with him at all. But he helped me through that very first match just with a few words. I took a touch, and I didn't see the winger come in very quick. And when I saw him, I tried to clear the ball and he got his foot to it. Goal kick. No goal, no nothing. It was just like, oh, he blocked the shot, whatever. But in my head, I was like, really, my first touch and like my first preseason as a first team player, I'm really doing this? Like, come on, man. And your feet are nice too, bro. Yeah, I consider consider myself ambidextrous. I got a left and a right inside. And he just looks at me and he's like, tranquilo, calmate, no pasa nada. Juega lo tuyo, like. You relax, you play your game, you'll be fine. Like, and with that, probably like the best next 28 minutes of my life. I was just hitting ping left and right up. And like it was, it was well, I played well that game. And just with a few words, he's a cool, good experience there. Um, who else? I played with Angelo Sagal as a Chilean international, at a Chilean international, uh, Franco Jara. Um, he's at FC Dallas now. Ando was there, no? Japanese. Oh, yeah, Keske Honda. That's crazy. Uh, <laughs> what a baller, by the way. No, he's... I I consider myself a very, very, very dedicated, hard worker. Mm-hmm. 
but I don't think I'd ever seen someone as freakishly dedicated as that man. I bet, bro. I bet. A lot of these Asian players are, bro. Like, and, and if I'm going to be completely honest, he wasn't, like, very talented. Uh-huh. But he was a hard worker. Like, I think for a span in my career, I'm going to be honest, I lost that kind of, that work ethic that I, I grew up with and that I've always had. And I recently found it again, and I feel, I love I it, feel, I feel good, man. That span that Keske was there, I think I wasn't in that work ethic spot, but I would see him. He'd be in the gym two hours before. He'd be training. He'd stay an hour and a half after. He'd do therapy after all the workout. He'd go home and he'd have another training session. And he had a dietitian, a psychologist, like two physical trainers, his own physio, like with him on standby at all times. That's how you do it, bro. Wow. He's amazing. He's amazing. Really cool dude, and he's like obsessed with riddles for some reason. With what riddles? So like, I I love riddles. I'm really good at like figuring out riddles for some reason. Yeah. And uh, I remember while we were in Dubai because that's where the Club World Cup was, Uh and that's where he played with us. Um, we I would give him riddles, and he's that like obsessive and like stubborn about it that we're like walking up to the room and like, all right, Honda, like I'll let you be, like you try to figure that out. He's like, no, 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 sit. And he sits me outside the elevator on two chairs. He's like, you're going to wait until I figure this out. And I sat there for 45 minutes. He didn't just thinking. And I'm asking me to repeat the riddle until he, he got he speak Spanish. No, he spoke uh, English. And like, that's why I kind of talked to him a lot because I spoke yeah. English. Yeah. And he made me sit there and like for 45 minutes, just told me, repeat the question. Okay. Okay. And then he like analyzed it. And then he ended up getting it. No phone, no nothing. He was just stubborn. Stubborn. <laughs> man. Yeah, man, that's crazy. What, bro, what, what an experience as a 19, 20-year-old for you to be around these mega stars, bro. Like, what, yeah. a, what a more perfect... You had the perfect youth career, perfect national youth team career. Go to Pachuca. Man, what a better place to be, bro. It was, it was a good experience. Uh, to say in, your home, in your homeland, bro. So, so I'm sure playing in Mexico, I mean, it, it definitely has to be way more satisfying than playing, you know, here in America. Um. It's tough because, you know, like, have you ever seen the movie Selena? <laughs> yeah, bro. <laughs> uh, when the dad says, like, oh, we have to be more Mexican than the Mexicans and more American than the Americans. Facts. So out there, they said, oh, they would call me, like, gringo. Like, you're American. Like, yeah. you're, you're a white boy. Yeah. I'm like, bro, I look more Mexican than everyone here. Like, yeah. like, like as, like, they say in Mexico, like, tienes el nopal en la frente. Like, you got to <laughs> look like, I look Mexican. Like, there's no, there's no question about it. No one's going to say, oh, you're white, Abraham. No, I'm, yeah. I'm Mexican. But to them, I wasn't. Mm-hmm. And then I come here and they're like, oh, you're not American. Yeah. You're Mexican. Yeah. So it's just kind of like, I relate a lot to people that kind of have similar backgrounds. Like, oh, you're from one culture, mm-hmm. but you were born here. So you're not really from here, but you're also not really from there. So my best, some of my best friends are in the exact same predicament situation. Um, life. Yeah. Like very similar. No, I, I, I've had to deal with identity stuff, too, because as you see here, bro, I'm Salvadorian as hell, bro. Like, I don't get more Salvadorian than me, but I my people don't accept me. I'm taller. I'm Asian <laughs> looking. So I don't get enough credit for being Salvadorian. And then I go somewhere like Boston College, no palo en la frente, bro. But then I'm I'm not American, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm it, so I've had to like balance and kind of just find myself. But I feel it only it only makes us a more well-rounded person. You know, I can blend in anywhere. And just because I've had to adjust, I feel like now I can 
I, you can't put me anywhere where I don't know who I am and I'm going to let you know that I know who I am, you know, without hiding. Yeah, and I think that I was able to learn that uh, pretty, pretty quickly, uh, that I'm kind of unapologetic about who I am and I'm just happy yeah. with it, you know? Man, that's the way to live, bro. You, you, I feel like as the older I get, the more that I live for myself, the better my life is. I don't have to consider people's feelings to actually feel good about myself. Sometimes, you you know, you have to be self-interested and just consider yourself. And if that offends you, then I'm sorry you keep it pushing, you know? Yeah, like, I, I just think everything gets, everyone gets offended with something that you do, so might as well just do what you want to do and be happy instead of trying to please everyone. Yeah. You know? We really don't have a skeleton as far as a youth, amateur, college, to the pros. We have these leagues. We have so many leagues. We have the MLS and then, you know, the USL, USL2, NISA, NPSL. But what's shocking to me, bro, none of these leagues are together, like connected. And none of them can get promoted and none of them can get demoted. So I'm thinking like as a player, as a coach, you don't really have anything to play for us. Aside of just winning at the end of the the year. And I feel like there has to be accountability for success if we're going to raise the level of playing because there is hella talent in these leagues. But the conditions are terrible. The the play instruction is horrible. And the pay out here is bad. And there's a lot of stuff that takes away from being a soccer player. So can you please give us a little bit about, you know, experience in the USL Championship League? Uh, one, I think it is actually, it's, it's a pretty competitive league. I'm not going to lie. Um, when I came in from Mexico, I came out here and I came out, I came in with a little bit of a, like, eh, like I'm 10 times more technical than all the guys here. And I still abide by that. I still think I'm more technical than half the league. I ain't going to lie. As a goalkeeper. <laughs> they got to know that you nice <laughs> with the feet. I, I consider myself very technical and I still think I am like probably up there in like just technical abilities along the whole team, not just like goalkeepers. Yeah. But um, I didn't realize how much of a physical league and how much like physical specimens there are in this league. <laughs> yeah. The first, the first game I played, I remember I tried to come for a cross and I just get ran through. Like I come for the cross, I catch it, but I get ran through, like crashed, cracked, like yeah. no foul, no nothing. I hold onto the ball. But I just remember feeling like my side, I was like, oh, like that, that's tough. Welcome to the and, NFL, huh? <laughs> yeah, I was like, man, these are some big boys. <laughs> and, you know, I'm very obsessive uh, with my, I, I don't want to have any weakness per se. Yeah. So I came in weighing 6'3", 173. Damn, you're thin, bro. Yeah, I was, I was thin. Now I'm 6'3", 200 pounds. 25 pounds of muscle. Yeah. So in the last, what, three years, I've put on like 25 pounds of muscle, but to progress and get bigger so I could hold my own against these big guys. It was like one of the shockers that I had in this league. Tradition and culture starts in these leagues. If you look at Manchester United, if you look at the Liverpools, these are blue-collar teams that started, you know, that have a 200-year tradition, but they started with miners, people that worked at factories that, you know, eventually went on and played soccer and then grew into this big super club. So if you look at these USL teams and USL communities, you guys, Hartford, uh, Galaxy 2, Atlanta 2, they have the followings. They have the stadiums. They have everything that they need to compete for a chance in the MLS. So why can't we give the people who win 
a promotion and the people that are shitty in the MLS demote them so we can have something to play for, you know, because like you said, there is talent, there is potential. This is an athletic league. So I feel like if we support these blue collar players and we give we give them something and that's supporting these communities, I feel like, you know, we're going to start seeing a different turnaround rate of players going into the MLS. Yeah, for sure. And I could honest, the honest truth, I, I see a bunch of USL teams. I think Phoenix Rising could be the majority of the MLS teams. Really? Sante, yeah, I think Phoenix Rising last, the last two years prior to this one, they had a rough start. It could easily, easily end up. Mid-table, you think? Nah, above <laughs> mid-table. Stop, in the MLS. In the MLS, there's some good, like, Baquero's good, uh, Asante's good, and they just don't get recognition. Yeah. Like, I think uh, those two center backs, these two uh, big white dudes that they have, technical. Technical, strong, fast. Like, I don't know why they're not in the MLS. Like, that team is basically an MLS team. Yeah. It's, ran, it's ran well. Coaching staff, uh, fantastic, great people. Like, there's no coverage on these players. There's nothing that gives these players a light. There's nothing. This is what I hope to change with this platform, bro, because I know there's diamonds in these leagues. People like you, people like these guys you're describing that, yo, this is where the answers for us being sorry at soccer are. They're here in America. There's there's no secret. There's no foreigner that's going to come. We can bring Real Madrid here, bro, but we have our own problems to fix. So we do that till we look in the face, till we start, till we start taking care of players in the system. We're not going to, not going to grow. You def yeah, man, this is definitely, you can see it like your team, bro. You guys have uh Michael Orozco, U.S. veteran. So it must be a good level. A fantastic player. I think Michael's amazing. Um, uh, I think Rob Kiernan, the center back that we have here, is fantastic. Uh, I know we have a bunch of little young kids that are like 18, 19 that have a lot of talent. Um, we just signed this guy. Obviously, he hasn't been here very long, so maybe I'm jumping the gun, but I think he's fantastic. Maybe on Flanagan, and I think he's amazing. Great player, great dude. Um, there's just so much like untapped talent here. Like, center forward for Phoenix. How many center forwards in the MLS score 16 goals in 17 games not many bro not many there's very few but he's killing it here and this is this is a decent league it's not it's not as bad as everyone thinks it is like not nah, and, and and i don't even think people think that it's bad it just has no coverage at all bro like i if you, I, if you watch our games the camera angles are terrible terrible and i've been watching those those bro since i graduated college so i i kept in touch with this league and i've always wondered like yo where do these players go what do they play for you're not connected and like again there's no accountability to success so you can't win a promotion it's kind of like the, the nba and the nfl is like the same thing over and over every year so what's dope about these european clubs is that a team from norwich or a team from the smallest town the smallest village in the in england could somehow work their way through and be up there and hopefully play manchester united one day like slightly it's it may never happen but people will go every year and support their team just because there's that little slim to none chance bro and that's that slim to none chance is what america needs for us to light a fire and us to become that powerful nation in soccer bro. yeah uh, i think uh, it kind of comes comes down to like people say uh motivation is what like drives people i don't think motivation because motivation lasts a very very short amount of time very short amount of time it lasts it'll, it'll, it'll push you for the first month mm -hmm. what pushes you until you can't go anymore is desperation if you're desperate mm -hmm. now imagine if you put desperation in a footballer's life if you tell me if you don't win we get demoted from first division 
to second division and your pay gets cut in half. I don't want to lose that money. So you better believe that I owe myself head first if I have to. And that there's just not that hunger. Like that is a, there's not that intensity. There's not that desperation to yeah. get results. What a perfect way to paint that, bro. Because yeah, there is no, if you go to Mexico, bro, these, these guys, this is how they eat. If, if they don't play and they don't well, they don't, their family doesn't eat. So you're telling me that you're going to tell a girl, man, his family's not going to eat. No, bro. These guys, that's why you see the Copa Libertadores, these Argentinians, these Brazilians, they go every night to kill. Bro, so that's 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 what I think America has to give them that desperation that you say by having a promotion relegation style league. That's a very 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 good point. A uh, very good very clean way to put it. Obviously, I love MLS, bro. So you know I can't let you leave without talking about MLS. Follow any teams in the MLS? Do you follow any players in MLS? Um, I follow like the Galaxy because I have friends that play there. I follow like uh, San Jose because I have a buddy that plays there. Um, I used to follow FC Dallas because the goalkeeper there, it was Jesse Gonzalez and like he played on the national team. Mexico and I was like, oh, he's pretty good. So I follow them. Like to tell you I have a team in MLS, I couldn't say. Nah, I hear you, bro. And, and I'm asking, I'm asking every guest, and I'm keeping track of how many people watch MLS and how many people are going so far, bro. I'm like, oh, for six. No one really watches MLS, and it goes to show you that people that enjoy the sport, like me and you, that know the sport, we're not wasting our time watching MLS. Like, you know, there's so much more soccer to be watched that I feel like we watch MLS just because of respect of the game. It's not because of the product they're putting out or because of the league that you know the quality soccer they're putting out. I've been able to watch very, very good football live and in person my entire life. And <laughs> it, it kind of hurts me to say this because I do I do care for them. I think it, it has the potential to be a fantastic league, but it hurts me to see that you're playing players that should never, ever be allowed to step on the pitch. Like, Let's let's be honest. There's a lot of players in the MLS that shouldn't be in the MLS. There's a lot of guys there that just like you're. They're giving them a contract because they're buddies to a buddy of that some investor or something. Like it's just oh, yeah. it's kind of demoralizing. It kind of it kind of annoys me to see a few guys that are I can count like eight, nine, ten guys that I know. Like yeah, you shouldn't you shouldn't be playing. Mm-hmm. But you're here because of X and Y and because you're buddies with that buddy and like. All. So if I know that many, I can't imagine how many more like are in the league. Like, there was something about, like, Josie Altador getting fined recently because of him saying, like, oh, this isn't the Bradley Martin show or something. But, like, we all kind of know it is because it's his dad, you know, Bob Martin or Bob Martin or something, right? And uh, Josie Altador also ripped Taylor Twelman. He said, because national team loses, we hear Alexi Lalas and Taylor Twelman just talk, rip us, rip us. We, we, We don't play for nothing. We blah, blah, blah. There's no heart. And they just rip us. But they never give us any constructive criticism on, like, what is culture? How do we fix this? And they just... You guys are places so like when I hear Alexis Lala's talk and these guys talk, like if I'm gonna be honest, you also have to like listen where like where the message is coming from. Yeah. If you really look back at Alexis Lala, he was a donkey. Donkey. Boo-boo. He had no touch. He had no class. He had absolutely- he, was, he was a fan favorite because he had crazy hair and a big yeah, people. But like that. but a footballer, like if I, I'd be surprised if the boy if the man could jump. I'd be surprised if he could hit a ping with both feet. I'd be surprised if he knew how to curl a ball with the outside of both feet. Like, he wasn't a good player. I think I feel like people forget that these guys weren't good. And they weren't. I also, like the Stephen A. Smith, for all the, all the other sports, is like a lot of unqualified people sit in these seats and get this platform to just bash and talk out the ass without being qualified or without being been put in the shoes of an athlete, you know, to just judge him and criticize him, bro. Like, 
I feel like that aspect needs to change, bro. I don't want to be one of those people. That's why I want to, you know, talk to people and just tell them how I feel about something and let them know, like, hey, we're here, you know, for a common goal and not to criticize. And because I talk shit on Twitter all the time, bro. And I was, we've been so sorry at soccer that I got tired of talking shit on Twitter that I had to start a whole podcast to try to find change, my boy. (laughs) Like, it's crazy, bro. I think that's perfect. A perfect way to put it. Like it's a bunch of unqualified people just talking trash. That's mm-hmm. it. And it's not just the, it's not just the media, bro. It's also a lot of these coaches. Let's be real. A lot of these coaches, college coaches, a lot of these club coaches that are in the league, they've been in the league, bro, since the eighties. So you can't build a powerful college program or promising talent at a program that has had the same mentality and same philosophy for the last 25 years how can a young player win an atmosphere like that and it's unrealistic you know so we definitely got a lot to work you know i believe that the mls could be a good league like you said i definitely agree with you but it's definitely frustrating it's it's i'm angry bro because it just feels like we've been working towards a false promise the last 25 years and we're still stubborn and we're not going to change anything for the next generation. And we're going to keep looking at ourselves on like, at the end of every four years, like, yo, why aren't we good at soccer? Why aren't we good at soccer? And realistically, where do you think U.S. soccer is going to be in the next two to three years? We have the World Cup coming up next year. So obviously, we've got to qualify to that. Do you see us being a powerful, dominant nation in the sport of soccer? Not this World Cup, but next World Cup. Not 2022. Uh, 2026. A lot would have to change, and I'm very hopeful that the U.S. becomes good because I think as a Mexican international that I've been, and hopefully I am in the future, it's getting kind of boring just beating these guys. And like, no, it is. It, like, here you know. Like, it, it's kind of, isn't it kind of boring that every single tournament, like, the real competition is for second place? It, it gets kind of boring to just hear the same thing. If Mexico doesn't win, it's a failure. They never say, oh, if U.S. doesn't win, it's a failure. Like, they say, oh, if U.S. makes it to the final, good job, guys. Like, nah. Yeah. Like, well, that's the most loser mentality I've ever heard in my life. The bar is so low for us. That's what it is, bro. Like, that we have to get out of the group and say, yes, we did it. And for me and you that love the game and understand this game, we we realize how far behind we are. So there's no reason for us to celebrate anything but W. It's just, I, it's it's kind of hard to understand. Like, why would you be okay with just getting into the final? Like, why? Like, Especially being in America. America is number one at everything, bro. Politics, business, every sport. So for us to be not good at the simple sport is laughable and appalling. And we're all in this because of greed, bro. Because we want to sell soccer. We want to sell seats. And we don't want to prioritize winning. That's where, why we're realistically in this shithole of a place in soccer bro because it is number one money's number one i do i do believe that if the u.s is able to inflict a little bit of culture just a little bit because the talent is the year the talent is in, in the U.S. There's, I know plenty of talented players that could hold their own in any part of the world if they're able to change i don't see why they wouldn't be able to win a world cup because they have fantastic talent fantastic i think it also comes down to like coaching staff i don't know why they got rid of uh yuri and klinsman i think that's probably the best head coach the u.s has ever had but they got rid of him and they got rid of him and brought in bruce arena respect to bruce arena he's won championships and all but does does everyone forget that he was a lacrosse coach like he coached lacrosse he never played soccer first he was a honestly but i did not know that he was a lacrosse coach coach lacrosse girls uh in college to give him respect though he has been he has been the most successful 
I'm hundred wild. So he's, he's a winner. He's a winner. Yes, he is. But also at the same time, it's just like, damn, that's our number one goal. And I know plenty of coaches that could beef. Give him a first team. Give him any any first team. I know coaches from like my city that I grew up with that could probably do better than half the coaches in the MLS. Man, I hear you. My to-do list, bro. I, if there's something I'm going to do is get all my A licenses, maybe try to go to coach at a D1 or something, but I want to I wanna actually get into one of these positions and actually coach, bro. And if that doesn't happen, cool, I'll be an agent. And if eventually everything goes well, bro, I want to have my own fucking team. And that's, that's how big I'm thinking, like to a point where I'm thinking, I'm like, you know what? Like I've conquered a lot of, and I've been successful with zero money in my pocket. And now that I have life experience, now that I'm a little bit older and smarter, like, why can't I dream a little bit bigger like that? So I'm working with the, with this platform, bro. I will hopefully grow this podcast into a media company, eventually to an agency, and eventually we have our own teams, bro, to break the curses, to put kids in the pros without having to exploit their family, without taking advantage of them and their family, and to give them a clear blueprint after high school, after college. Conversations like this is where we start with people like you, with people who are still relevant in the sport, who still have that hunger, you know? You know, so for me to have you as one of my earliest guests, bro, means the world to me. Seeing where you come from, we come from the same background, we come from the same club. And for me to see you doing your thing and being so young, bro, I have nothing but props and respect to you. Thank you, man. I really appreciate that. And I'm honestly, like, I'm really happy to just sit down and have a chat. Just basically just talk to an old friend. It's it's nice, man. This for sure won't be the only time I'll interview you, bro. Uh, I hope to get an in-person. I'm coming to LA in July. You know, this is a good conversation, but there's only so much that we can get. Oh, yeah, man. I would love to, you know, get an in-person with you when I'm home. Maybe, you know, shoot some footage behind the scenes with your club and kind of just give people a behind the scenes of a day in the life and, and also to showcase the level level that is in the usl and in these blue collar leagues oh, yeah of course I'd, I'd love to and if it, if i'm if we're able to do anything along those lines you can come out to like training sessions i'm sure orange county great people great honestly great great people here they're they're trying to do the things right maybe yeah. they haven't gotten them right yet but yeah. you can see the effort you can see them putting the right foot forward like really just taking it and just they can like trying to make everything as professional and as realistic to a professional environment like overseas like in mexico either i see the effort that they're putting forward i hear you man and um yeah before we leave but what are your realistic goals what do you want to accomplish in your career in the next year just you know give us something out to manifest it you have accomplished so much in your career and you're still only 23 what what's something that you still want to work for oh easy champions league world cup um <sighs> love it Right, bro, let me stop you there, bro, because I thought you were going to give me like, you're going to give me like a textbook answer, like, you know, finish the season strong, but you gave me Champions League, bro, wow, bro, fuck yeah, I love that your mentality is there, and yes, bro, that's, that's what I want for you, so hell yeah, I'm glad your mind is there, bro. I just, I don't see why not, like, Christian did it, yeah. and Weston McKinney did it, and yeah. uh, I played with these guys growing up, and I, I know what I have to offer, I know how good I really am. Mm -hmm. that I haven't gotten the right opportunities and been in the right places at the right time, I haven't. But I hope everyone knows that when I get that opportunity and when I am in that spot and I do make it and I make it to the top, I'm not coming back down unless I want to. Fuck yeah, bro. Preach. And I believe that, bro. And it is chingon, bro. You know that you, you, you know you got it, bro. So I'm cheering for you. Pasadena's cheering for you, bro. The soccer world's cheering for you, my brother. So I know without a doubt you're going to get your opportunity. I know you're going to take advantage of it. And I, I will. And I hope 
opportunity presents itself a little sooner than later because patience is difficult. Mm-hmm. But God willing, I will have another interview. But this time, you'll I'll fly you out to wherever I'm playing in Europe, and my boss will be after Champions League. Man, bro, you throw it out there, bro. I'm a firm believer in the universe and full circle, bro. It's going to happen, my G, and I can't wait. Um, thank you for your time, bro. We're going to close it out. I think we covered a lot, bro. Abraham Romero, Pasadena legend, Pachuca legend, Mexican international. Peace.